Ezekiel 44, verses 17 through 31. We're going to finish, uh, no matter what time it is, when we finish. Uh, well, we're going to do our best to finish on time. But Ezekiel 44, beginning at verse 17, we'll get started here in just a moment. But in chapter 44, we have focused our attention on the issues pertaining to the approach and the worship of God in the Messianic temple. Considering the restrictions that will govern temple worship during the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth from Jerusalem. Now the rebellious house of Israel was addressed as the prophet Ezekiel was receiving the vision of the new temple and its worship practices. In effect, what the Lord was telling them, and that means the rebellious house, telling the people that were in front of him, because you got to remember, they were in captivity in Babylon. And so the people are standing in front of the prophet. God is telling Ezekiel what to tell them. And so the practices that are going to be in the, in the messianic temple at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth to reign for a thousand years is, is the same regulations of any temple between then and that messianic temple. There would, of course, be Herod's temple. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, the, um, the temple of Zerubbabel, which was, of course, the, uh, the temple of Solomon kind of tried to be redone. And they were told, uh, you, you're going to have to change your ways as to how you approach me in worship. In other words, they were letting the uncircumcised come into the temple. And of course, we said last time that they weren't, that, you know, they had pretty much realized that uh, they needed to turn from that particular practice. So he was telling them that he demanded holiness from them. Then this is really the key. He demanded holiness from them and a turning from that practice of allowing these uncircumcised foreigners into the temple. And this they would heed even into the time of Paul, as we saw last time. But ultimately, they rebelled in a number of other ways, of course, and they got scattered, of course, throughout the rest of the world for the last 2,000 years until 1948. But the holiness of the priesthood, both in the premillennial temple and the messianic temple, would continue to be expounded upon in the instructions to the priests. And so uh, we continue then in verse 17, and let's turn there and let's begin reading. It says, And it shall come to pass that when they, speaking of the priests, and at this point this would be the priests of Zadok that he already mentioned in this chapter, <clears throat> it shall come to pass that when they enter in at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and no wool shall come upon them whilst they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. Now they shall have linen bonnets upon their heads, or turbans, and shall have linen breeches or breeches upon their loins. If you're from the south, it's breeches. All right. Not south of the border, but south. Uh, okay. And then shall have linen breeches upon their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything that causes sweat. Take note of that, please. So there is obviously a sense that when we serve the Lord, it is indeed work. There's work to be done for the kingdom of God. Even Jesus himself would say through a particular uh, uh, parable, you know, we're to occupy until he comes. 
But the Apostle Paul, when wrapping up his letter to the Colossian church, wrote to them about Epaphras, one who was from Colossae, because he mentions that. He says uh, in Colossians 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently. So there is a sense of labor, there is a sense of work as a believer. But notice what he does. Always abounding fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Paul even spoke of his own labors to the Thessalonians so as not to be a burden to others. He said to them in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul was a tent maker, so that's what, that's what he did to, get, uh, you know, to have a living so that he could preach the gospel as long and as, and as uh, late as he wanted to, which he did many times. But what God says to the priests is, you wear linen inside the inner court because I don't want you to sweat. So there's also a sense in which our ministry to the Lord should not be a labor. It should not be a labor. Ministry, in effect, should be about inspiration and not perspiration. It's about inspiration. And whenever you hear the word inspiration, it should always turn us to the Holy Spirit. Because the true inspiration comes from God's Spirit. We know that the Word of God is God-breathed. And that is where we get the word inspiration from. And so ministry, in effect, has to be about inspiration and not perspiration. When it comes to serving the Lord, He doesn't want you to sweat. But please don't take that to mean he doesn't want you to serve. Because in fact, we're commanded to serve. But consider it this way, if you will. Perspiration may at times be a sign of a lack of inspiration. Perspiration may be at times a sign of a lack of inspiration. And when you don't have inspiration, you may think you need to sweat to make it through. Think about the, the many people who think they have to work their way into heaven. That's perspiration and not inspiration. Because the inspiration of the word of God teaches us what? That we're not saved by our works, we're saved by, faith, by grace through faith. And that, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? That's, that's the gospel. So when you don't have inspiration, you may think you need to sweat to make it through. And it's sad that there are so many people, even in churches today, that if you ask this question very publicly in a church, are you saved by the things that you do, many hands would go up. But I want you to remember what Jesus himself said. Remember this because I say it a lot. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more work to do. 
so you can really sweat it up a storm. No, he said, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden. You're already working. You're already laboring. You're already weighed down. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. You know why his yoke is easy? Because he's the one who carries us. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, it is sad also when a believer complains about their service or what has been given by them to God. I know none of you would do this, but I've heard some people oftentimes say, man, I've done all this kind of stuff from the Lord. I don't, sometimes, I don't, sometimes I don't even feel appreciated. Ah, you know. <laughs> That's complaining. And when you complain, you sweat. Don't forget, you know, when you do a little bit of sweat and you also Stink a little bit. Now what sweat does, you know? I mean, there's a healthy sweat. You go out there, work out, you know, get in shape, get in front of a mirror, scare yourself. But this is different. The issue, is, the issue of giving, because this is what it is. You give service. Certainly you give tithes and offerings. And, and you know, we don't make a big deal about that here. And I'll talk about it in just a minute. But, but, but the fact is, we, we, you know, we're not putting any pressure on anybody about the, you know, that, those issues. And there's a reason why. But the issue of giving is one area of contention with a lot of people. Where the word of God is clear about determining in our own hearts what we are to give, there are those who find creative ways of pressuring you, of pushing you, of even getting you excited about giving or, or inciting you or provoking you to give in some way. But I want you to listen because this is the clear thing that God has said about determining in our own hearts what we're to give. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, where Paul says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He's just giving a principle from the scriptures that if you sow sparingly into the ministry, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Then he says this, every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give. So let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. I need to see more teeth when the offering goes by. I don't see enough teeth. And we're not asking you for money. You know, you know we, we let God talk to you, encourage you. And some of you are just wonderful and cheerful givers. I'm sure that most of you are. I'd like to say all of you are. Maybe I should say that. All of you are great, cheerful givers. But notice verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. 
God is able to make all grace, all undeserved favor abound for you. It just begins with the fact that your heart is listening to the voice of God, listening to the Lord about these issues. So from all of this, it sounds to me like the Lord doesn't want you to sweat when it comes to giving. He doesn't want you to sweat at all. It's going to be between you and him. But if you listen, he'll let you know. Also, too often some people think of perspiration as a sign of holiness or, or some kind of spiritual superiority. But it isn't. It is no sign of inspiration to work so hard that the labor overwhelms you. It's no sign of inspiration. And some people have tried so hard to please people. Don't please people. Please God. We're not to be pleasing to men. We're to be pleasing to God. When we're pleasing to God, we don't sweat. When we try to be pleasing to man, well, we're sweating all the time. The linen bonnets that we mentioned there in verse 18, or the turbans mentioned, suggest that, that the priests were, were to have cool heads. Let cool heads prevail in your ministry. And even temper, that's what it means, just to have an even temper. When they were working in the, in, the, in the temple, when they were working in the sanctuary, in the inner court, when, when they were having to deal with all of those issues while the people are going to worship. And we're not just talking about the, the you know, inside the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, what the high priest was doing, you know, as far as going into the Holy of Holies. Uh, the, that's part of it. But, but this is just all the preparation for, for the sacrifices and the offerings and, and, and whatnot there in the inner court. They, they, they were to take their time. They were to be cool about things. They were to think through things. They, they, they just weren't supposed to sweat. Paul warned Timothy when dealing with servants serving their masters. He said in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5, he says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. But doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw yourself. Withdraw thyself from those. You know, it's, it's, a, it's about being, being level-headed, being even-tempered when facing the calling that God has given you. And I have to tell you that in the ministry, a lot of times we have to deal with this kind of stuff. Pride, strife, envy, evil things, perverse disputings. And it's, not a, it's never an easy thing. But it doesn't help to sweat. And it doesn't help to become like those that you're trying to stop being the way they are. We can't be that way. We have to be like Christ. That's another thing that the priests, not knowing, were actually having to do, was be a stamp of Jesus Christ, the, the great high priest. So to argue for the sake of arguing is not of the Lord. Listen again, to argue for the sake of arguing 
is not of the Lord. And it is definitely not worth dealing with those kinds of people. In fact, at times, the Apostle Paul says, hey, from such turn away. What we need to remember is that in worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, we can do nothing without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but a person who says they're a believer and then goes off into some kind of a, you know, a, a profane rant is, is definitely not aware that the Holy Spirit's there. And we have to always remember that the Holy Spirit is where we are if we are true believers in Jesus Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit, not just the presence of the Spirit, but the power of the Spirit. And, and even more for the priest, because if you go all the way back to the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verse 9, notice what it says. It says, and thou shalt take the anointing oil. Stop there and remember what anointing oil is a symbol of. It is a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The anointing oil was the presence and the outpouring of the Spirit upon the priests. And not only was the oil upon the priests, the oil was also upon the tabernacle and every part of the tabernacle. And so if thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein and shall hallow it and all the vessels thereof and it shall be holy. And that's another reason why the priests were not to sweat. They were to be holy. They had to be careful with what they said, careful with what they did, careful with where they went. So this was done to be a reminder to every believer that the Holy Spirit was to be involved in everything that was done in service to the Lord. That includes us. Whatever our calling may be, it is never to be separated from the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It is never to be separated from you because the one who does the work truly is the Holy Spirit himself through you. And that's why you don't sweat because he's doing the work through you. You have to surrender to that. You have to die to self. You have to die to sin. You have to die to these things and let God guide you, direct you, lead you. In the service through the gifts that God has given you. So let's remember this. Psalm 127, verse 1. Very simple verse. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the house. Who builds the house? <laughs> the Lord does. And he's building us. And we sang in that song, you know, I'm the temple of the Spirit. We're the temple of the Spirit. We're the apple of his eye. But, you know, here's the thing. We're, we are the temple of the Spirit. The Word of God says that. So if we know that, and we're letting, the word, we're letting the word of God and the spirit of God lead us and guide us. You know what? We don't sweat. As long as we're standing. In right standing. In righteousness. 
and godliness with the Lord. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, waketh but in vain. So, as, as I saw that passage, I realized more than anything, we really needed an application from that passage. And I hope and pray that that will be an encouragement to you to continue to seek out this, you know, the gifts of, of the Spirit that God wants to use through you, and then seek out the service that God wants you uh, to do and to be a part of in the, in the body of Christ. Let's go on in verse 19 now of Ezekiel 44. Get back to the priests there in the temple. And when they go forth into the utter court, now remember the utter court is really the outer court. It's not a misspelling, it just, utter means outer, so in, in the old English. So when they go forth unto the utter court, even into the utter court to the people. Now remember that uh, the um, Levites uh, who had sinned tremendously before the Lord, and we talked about this last week, they would still be allowed to serve, but not to the Lord. They were to serve the people. But the, the priests of Zadok, or the descendants of Zadok, would be able to, to serve inside and outside, inside the court, outside the court. So uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, they shall put off their garments. Notice this, when they go forth into the utter court, even into the utter court of the people, or to the people, they shall put off their garments wherein they ministered. In other words, they are to take off the linen garments, the linen turban, and lay them in the holy chambers, and they shall put on other garments, and they shall not sanctify the people with their garments. In other words, they're not to minister to the people with the garments that they minister to the Lord with. Just, just keep that thought. Verse 20, neither shall they shave their heads, nor suffer their locks to grow long. They shall only pull their heads, which means, doesn't mean that they hit themselves with a pole. It's, uh, it means to trim. It just means to trim. They're, to, they're actually to trim their hair nice. Not to shave, not to grow it long. There's a reason, I'll tell you why in a moment. Verse 21, neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. So that's, that's very specific, when they enter into the inner court. Neither shall, you know, because they, they, they had to drink wine in, in, this, in the sense of the Passover supper and all of that. This is going into the inner court. Okay, so just, just remember that. And neither shall they take for their wives a widow, nor her that is put away, but they shall take maidens of the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow that had a priest before. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. The holy and profane, that which was set apart unto God, and that which was common to man. There's a difference. What has happened today in the Church of Jesus Christ is you hardly see a difference between what is the holy and the profane. And that's a pretty sad issue. We spend a lot of time talking about those differences. There hardly is anything holy in the sense of what separates us from the world, what separates us from the world, the flesh, and the devil, as John kind of makes that clear in 1 John chapter 2 of his letter. And then in verse, uh, at the end of verse 23, he says, cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So if you hadn't learned this by now, 
Let me point out that the Lord was, the Lord is, and the Lord will always be very particular about worship. If you hadn't learned that yet, learn it now. The Lord was, is, and will always be very particular about worship. You see, he is very particular about the way the sanctuary is used. We've, we see him measuring, wanting you know, to, to have the whole place measure it out. Everything has to be in its place. Everything has to be measured a certain way. That's God's particular view of worship. That's how he wants it. And since he's God, that's how it needs to be done. But he's also very particular about the conduct of the priests and how they are to present themselves, not just before the Lord, but before the people. Not just before the Lord, but before the people. Now you might be asking, well, what does all of this have to do with me? Well, let's consider. Consider what the Apostle Paul writes to in the church uh, or writes to the church in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I've made reference to this, but I think we need to see it very clearly here. When he speaks to the church, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The church is a royal priesthood. In other places, the scripture says that we are a kingdom of priests. At times it says, you're a, you're a kings and priests before the Lord. But literally in, in the language, uh, the Bibles, or the, the languages of the Bible, it says you're a kingdom of priests. Directly to the church in the, in the Greek, you're a kingdom of priests. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. You see, before we came to Jesus, we weren't a people. Uh, you know, we were scattered into all kinds of different tribes and communities or whatever, but we weren't a people. We, we weren't, we're a people now. We're, we're the people of God. And the boast isn't because of what we've done. It's all because of what Christ did. Let's never forget that. Because he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We didn't have mercy before. In other words, we were going to be judged and sentenced and, 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 and uh, the sentence be executed on, on us who did not believe in Jesus Christ. But now that we do believe in Jesus Christ, we've been shown mercy. And so if we're a kingdom of priests, as Peter tells us, then it does have application for us. The idea in verse 19 of our text in Ezekiel has to do with a priest going before the people without wearing the holy garments for this reason. Not to draw attention to themselves. Did you get that? They were not to use the, the linen garments that they used to serve the Lord in the inner court. They were not to use them before the people because it was not 
for them to draw attention unto themselves as priests. They were to come before the people in humility, not appearing better than anyone else. Let's face it, honestly, let's face it. Religious garments draw attention to those wearing them, and in many cases, it feeds their flesh. That's just the way it is. I'm saddened to think that many, I know many of you came out of the Catholic Church. I'm, I'm sure that the Lord brought you out more than over that particular reason. But when you look back at things and you see how the, uh, the hierarchy within the, the Catholic system is, the higher up you go, you know, the, 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 the more the, the, the garments bring attention to you, the caps, the hats, everything. The accoutrement, you know, the things, your, your necklaces and rings and everything else. Where was that in scripture? It isn't there. And the priests are being told, now these priests were told, what you used to honor God in the temple with, you, you go into your room and you take it off before you come out to the people. I want you to listen to what else Peter said in 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter 5 because this was the attitude of the person that the Catholic Church made the first pope. And, and, and by the way, I say this with all due respect to the people that want to have faith in Jesus Christ that are still in the Catholic Church. And I've met, I've met Catholics that love Jesus, that really love Jesus. So I, I want you to understand, you know, I, I pray for them to, you know, to see these things. But, but this is what Peter said. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. He said, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. And by the way, he knew he was an elder, not because he made himself one, but because Jesus made him an apostle. So he said, the, elder which among you I ex the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. If I had the opportunity, I could use all of that, Peter is saying, to have you guys bow down to me. You understand what he's saying here? I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I was a partaker of the glory on, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. But this is what he said. As I speak to you elders, as a fellow elder, eye to eye, I'm not above you. I could use those things to be above you, but I'm not going to. What he says to them is this. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not like you're forced, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not for money, 
not for gain, but of a ready mind, ready to serve the Lord in whatever way or capacity. But then look at verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. Well, who's God's heritage? His people. You're not to be lords over God's heritage. That term is very, it's very telling. Lords being those who would demand what? Demand some kind of service. Some kind of attention. Not as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples. That's a King James word, but it is different than an example. Man, I had to kind of dig deep into this one because, you know, usually in, when, uh, modern translations will take the word ensample and just replace it with example. But an example is a little different than an ensample, and an ensample is a little different than an example. An ensample, the word in the Greek means a die stamp that is exactly the stamp of what you're representing. An example would be just uh, something that, that uh, you know, it could be a picture of something or so. This is a die cast into a, uh, a, um, a stamp that, that, that becomes what, in, in effect what it is, is becomes what Jesus is. It's a stamp of Christ, an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory the face not away. So, verse 20 then. If you, under, if you understand now where, where we're at with all of that. Verse 20 of our text points out that the priests were always to be well-groomed. when they served the Lord and when they came out to the people. Not overly groomed, just well-groomed. They were neither to let their hair grow too long nor shave it off. And by the way, this exhortation goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 21, verses 4 through 6, where it says, But he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself, they shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. Ugh. They shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God they do offer, therefore they shall be holy. One important reason for this was due to the fact that pagan priests did those things as part of their idolatrous rituals and the Lord's ministers were never to be identified with false religions nor with those who believed and promoted such things. Which is another reason why my heart is, is so heavy, heavy toward uh, the Catholic people because uh, the, the, the Catholic priesthood is not, by, and what we're learning today in, in, in the text the Catholic priest is not designed after the priests of, Le, of, of Levi the, or, the, or the Levitical priesthood. They're not designed that way. It is not. It is designed after the priests of Babylonian uh, uh, religions. 
the Babylonian religions. And I have to say, it's a simple example, but the, the, there's a mitre, this, this, this hat that goes up in the air a little bit ways. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's actually designed after, uh, that's designed after the, the, uh, the Babylonian god uh, Dagon that uh, is actually in scripture that fell at the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. And they kept setting it up and because the Ark of the Covenant was in the same room, the idol kept falling down, you know. That's the fish head. Uh, I'm not making this up, you know. I'm just letting you know. I'm not, just, this is, if you do a study, there's an old book by Alexander Hyssop. If you can ever find it, it's, it's worth to have in your library. It's called The Two Babylons. And he's, he goes extensively into this. It's an old, old book, but he covers it pretty well, covers all that pretty well. And I tell you this, again, I, I, I respect so many of the Catholic people that love Jesus. They love Jesus. And you just want to tell them, you know, what well, you need to, you know, first of all, uh, you need to receive Jesus Christ. If you love him, you gotta, you got to know him and uh, you got to be born again. So we got to go through that thing. But, but, you know, the point is that we just pray that the blinders will come off. So let's go to verse 21 because we're, we're running out of time here. Verse 21 points out that no priest was to drink wine while ministering. Uh, the word of God is clear about this in two passages. Uh, here's another point. We're not going to exhaust that point. I think we're all aware. Leviticus 10, verses 8 through 11, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Aaron, saying, This is after his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, were, were uh, actually uh, uh, killed for offering strange fire unto the Lord. Up in the early part of verse, uh, chapter 10. But the Lord now speaks to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink thou, nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever through your generations, and that you may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. So there again, we see what we read in, in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 44. And what we're reading about the holy and the unholy in verse, in verse 23 of our text. And, they, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. You'll be able to teach them that if you're you know, constantly in, in the wine. Okay, Numbers 6, 3, 3 and 4. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. Now this is for a person taking the Nazarite vow, which is not uh, specifically directed to the priest. It's really given to the whole people, both male and female, uh, who want to take this vow. But nonetheless, it tells us that that's connected to that part of the priesthood. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husk. So not, not even the, the stuff that can make it are you are you took it if you uh, taste it if you're uh, making a Nazarite vow. But the idea is that using things that will cloud the mind will also make a person insensitive to the things of God, especially in service to God. It was also a warning to kings and leaders. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So the responsibility of kings and leaders of people was, uh, was heightened by the fact that they were not 
to be drunk with wine. But of course, all of the pagan people, you know, all the pagan leaders, they were, they enjoyed being drunk with wine. God says, but you're not them, you're mine. Ezekiel 44, verse 22, going back to verse 22 for a moment. Neither shall they take for their wives a widow, nor her that is put away, but they shall take maidens of the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow that had a priest before. Uh, very simply, the priests were not to marry a widow or a divorced woman. To maintain a holy lifestyle, they were allowed to marry only a virgin of their own nationality, of course, Israel, or a widow of another priest. You can find that in Leviticus 21, verse 7, and Leviticus, Leviticus 21, verses 13 through 15, if you'd like to read that later. Verse 23, then, is the key verse. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So the priests were to teach the people what was right and what was wrong. See, in schools today, they don't do that anymore. What's right for some is wrong for some. What's, right for, for, what's wrong for some is right for others. You know, we have to be, we have to be uh, so, uh, uh, you know, open to this. You know, there's no absolutes anymore. You know, the, uh, um, the philosophy of, 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 of the world today is, is just so open, you know, to whatever, you know. As long as you're not stepping on somebody's toes. But, but see, it doesn't work. We, we, we see it in politics today. It doesn't work. That, that, kind of, uh, that kind of perspective just doesn't work. The priests were to teach the people what was right and what was wrong. That was, that's why we have the word of God. And not only that, but they were to help the people to discern for themselves. That means they were to teach. It is a matter of teaching not only what is in the word of God, but how to distinguish the truth of the word of God from the error of the enemy and the world. Discernment is lacking greatly in the church today. And by the way, if you read the, the gifts of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the discerning of spirits. It is a gift, but it's a gift that I believe every believer in Jesus Christ needs to have. It's the sermon is lacking greatly, but since we, we learn by being filled, in, uh, filled with the Spirit of God and by searching the Scriptures, don't forget, we need both the Word and the Spirit. As a matter of fact, Jesus told the woman at the well, you know, those who worship God worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. We need the Spirit, we need the truth. So it is no wonder when the Word of God is no longer the main focus of some churches that these groups go off the deep end in following that which is false. And that's the reason why in some churches today you have this thing called Christian yoga. There's nothing Christian about yoga. It's all Hindu. All of it. There's not one good thing about yoga that, that the, the Christian church needs to understand or know. Kundalini, you find Kundalini in, 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 in the Word of God? And if you can find Kundalini, you know, the, the process of Kundalini, and the, you know, which is, the, which is the serpent spirit within, you know, the spine thing. It's crazy. Oh, but no, this is, this is just the, you know, whatever the moves are, you know. God is saying, get away from this stuff. The quote-unquote Christian pastors that are bringing in Buddhists into their church 
to speak from pulpits, having conversations. Let's get the good out of Buddhism. We can all learn from that. That's pagan. In fact, Buddhists don't even believe that there's a God. You become God. That's Buddhism in a nutshell. Others are bringing in imams from, from, the, uh, from the mosques. No, we're, we're trying to make peace. So we have so much that we can be in common. I mean, we worship the same God, don't we? Not even close. Not even close. Oy, I got off the, got off the beaten path here. Y'all don't mind me finishing. I want to finish this because next, next week we've got to get into chapter 45. Okay, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. In other words, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many false prophets. Read on that later, but jump down to verse 4. He speaks to the church and he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May I ask you a question? When does the spirit of truth and the spirit of error come together? In this particular passage, it doesn't. And it never will, because they're not compatible at all. They're of the world, we're of God. Enough said. Getting back to Ezekiel, <laughs> got to finish. Verse 24 of Ezekiel 44. Continuing on in, in the priests, and in controversy they shall stand in judgment. In other words, they're to be judges. In controversy they shall stand in judgment and they shall judge it according to my judgments and they shall keep my laws and my statutes in all mine assemblies and they shall hallow my Sabbaths and they shall come at no dead person to defile themselves. In other words, they're not to touch anything, uh, anybody that's dead. But here's the exception. For father, for mother, for son, for daughter, for brother, for sister, they have that has had no husband, they may defile themselves. In other words, whatever they need to do for the body, they, they can do it for their own family. And after he is cleansed, they shall reckon unto him seven days. In other words, he'll take seven days off from his service in the temple. And in the day that he goeth into the sanctuary, unto the inner court, to minister in the sanctuary, he shall offer his sin offering, saith the Lord God. So the priests are to serve as judges in regards to the Lord's regulations, dealing with the feasts and with the Sabbaths, and with other controversies. They were uh, to also avoid ceremonial defilement by avoiding going near a dead person. And this would also apply to the millennial messianic temple priest, the temple that is yet to come, since death, while it will be uncommon, nevertheless will occur during Christ's reign. There will be some death. The only exception is made for close family members, as I said, when the priest will need to wait seven days after defilement to offer a sin offering before returning to service in the temple. And by the way, for your information, let me tell you a little bit about the uh, kingdom age, the thousand year reign of Christ. This is what it says in Isaiah 50, 65, verse 20. It says, there shall no more uh, thence, uh, there shall be no more thence an infant of days, 
nor an old man that has not filled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years old. But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So a, a child, you know, can, can be a child for a hundred years in, a, in essence, you know, in the, in the kingdom. Uh, so death is not going to be a common thing, but this is to let you know that it will occur at, at times. Going on to the end, verse 28, and it shall be unto them for an inheritance. I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their inheritance. We already know this about the Levitical priesthood. They, they, they were not given land. Okay? They shall eat the meat offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering. Whatever they need, they're being fed by the people who give the offerings. God is allowing them that opportunity. They're taken care of by God, in other words. And every dedicated thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all the first fruits of all things and every oblation of all of every sort of oblations which are offerings shall be the priests. You shall also give unto the priests the first of your dough. That, that doesn't mean, you know, that's not a fan, you know, one of these uh, colloquial words for money. It's not, you know, dough. Yeah. It's dough like bread, bread dough, okay? Just so you'll know. Because uh, they weren't that modern uh, in the King James time when they used that word. You shall also give unto the priests the first of your dough that he may cause the blessing to rest in thine house. The priest shall not eat of anything that is dead of itself or torn, whether it be fowl or beast. In other words, uh, animals would have to be slaughtered the right way and drained the right way of the blood before they could use it for, for food. Uh, an animal that would died by itself, they were not to touch or just to let it go and be buried. So have you ever wondered if you will be rewarded more in heaven because you feel you've lacked so much in this life while others have been more blessed on this earth? Have you ever wondered about that? I, I'm not asking you for an answer. I'm just, I'm just trying to get a, an idea into your mind. Because there are some people that think, you know, they've, they've had it rough on this, on this earth, you know. And maybe in heaven they'll, they'll be finally you know, blessed somehow. But the answer to that question shouldn't surprise us at all because the answer is right here. This is what the Lord said to a people group, the Levites and the priests that did not get any land as inheritance. What did he say? The Lord is your inheritance. Wow. What else needs to be said? The Lord is our inheritance. If we're the kingdom of priests now, the Lord is our inheritance. What do you want from the Lord? If he gives himself to you, what do you need beyond him? You see, do you really need more? You know, there, there's a statement made to Abram before he became Abraham that sums it all up for me, and I hope for you as well. It's Genesis 15, verse 1. I want you to look carefully at this verse. Sometimes we pass over it awfully quick. But Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I 
am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I'm your reward. I mean, that's better than, you know, getting the gold medal at the Olympics or getting a, uh, you know, an Oscar. Let's say you got a, a gold medal in the Olympics, an Oscar, a Grammy, and, you know, an Emmy, and, and all kinds of other raspberry things and whatever. And, and you just, and, and the Lord says, I'm your exceeding great reward. And you look at that other stuff and you say, this doesn't add up to anything, but God is everything. And you know with Abram and Abraham, and I spoke a little bit about him in, in my teaching in, in, in Phoenix, because I was uh, assigned the topic of the better country, which is heaven. But, but Abram, you know, we, we oftentimes say he was a very, very wealthy man, but the fact of the matter is he was promised all this land, and he was promised an, a, 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 a descendants more than the stars of, of heaven and, and more than the sand, the, the, the sand of the sea, you know, in number. And he never saw it. Yet he believed. He believed God. And he believed God because he accepted this, that God was his exceeding great will. And it's Jesus who is the better country because he was the better sacrifice. He was the better offering. He was the better high priest. He was better than the angels. And he's better than anything created. So what else do the priests need? What will the priests need in the messianic kingdom? What will they need? The priests of the previous temples lived off the sacrifices, as we said. Remember that they, the Levites, were not given land, but the Lord took care of them. And it may have gotten to a point when the people rebelled against the Lord that the priests weren't being supported as before. But the Lord blesses, as always, through his people, who, when obedient to his word, support those who feed them the truth. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, he said, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that, who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. So I'm going to say two things to close. First thing is, you all have blessed the pastors of this church, and you bless us still. And I thank God for you. I thank the Lord that you, you remain faithful to him. And I pray you continue to stay faithful to him so that we can be faithful to you in teaching you the word of God. But God has taken care of us through you. Secondly, I want you to remember something. Don't sweat it. Got it? Don't sweat it. The Lord is your inheritance if you belong to him. So you don't have to sweat. Okay?